Well, here we go again. Third lockdown, and uh, today we've only got uh, Elliot and me. So there is someone else in the room, so it's not, I'm not by myself. But um, I know just uh, that four weeks ago I was going to be speaking, and we're doing our Cornerstone Cornerstone series, and our Cornerstones relating to our vision statement of the church. And so I was to speak on authenticity, and uh, then everything changed, and we have not been able to do what we wanted to do. So now we're, we're back on video church, which is the most exciting thing for me. So anyway, um, Elliot, you ready? Thumbs up, we're good to go. I just want to start with a story, and it's one that we see in Acts 9.26, and it's about Paul. Um, so we all know the story of, of Saul, where he, um, he was persecuting the church, and he was wreaking havoc in the church. He was dragging people off to um, get stoned. Um, he was dragging you know, Christians out of homes to put them in prison. And, and it was a pretty chaotic time for the, for the early church. And uh, so this, this, um, uh, these few verses kick in when he got radically saved on the road to Damascus. And we, we see that uh, it was pretty radical. He went from persecuting the church to, to, serving, to serving God and uh, having an apostolic ministry. And so, so Acts 9.26 says this. It says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took, took them, uh, told them how Saul, on his journey, had come to know the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Um, what, I, what I like about this here is that the disciples didn't want him to come and join them because they were like, no, 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 no. He's a bad guy. He's gonna, he's going to, um, he's going to dob us in. He's gonna, we're going to end up in prison or we're going to end up getting stoned, you know. And they wanted proof of his authenticity. And uh, Barnabas had seen the change in him and seen how he had been ministering and uh, speaking in the churches. So um, he was the the only one really that authenticized the fact that Paul had changed um, dramatically. And that he was truly a disciple now, and he was serving the same God as them. So I was just talking to um, Pastor Mike Robb. They're coming back from the fishing trip. Uh, we went to Twizel a few weeks ago, and uh, we were just talking about what it was to be authentic. And and he just made this uh, this point, and it's quite good. I thought it's like that. I want to be seen as the same person here speaking tonight or at church on Sunday as I am when I'm at home. And so you get the same person, and that's the real deal. When we put on you know, something to be out in public, we put on a different sort of a, a mannerism or something. It's not really um, truly who we are. And so I guess we're all looking for, and people that we meet, we're looking for the real person. And often we, we sort of hide behind a mask until we get comfortable enough to pull the mask down and let people in. And so um, talking about the authenticity today, is, it's, it's sort of playing into who we are as a church as well. You know, a lot of people that have come to our church in the last, I don't know, four years, I think I've been here now, um, a lot of people says, oh, it's really real. And, or, you know, the people are really genuine. And those two words also infer um, authentic. And that's how the word um, authentic got into our, our mission statement, because it's something that we time and time hear again, hear again. And that's uh, pretty cool. So that's how it got there. So, Really, it's who are you when you're not going to church? You know, this is a great time to talk about it. We're in lockdown again, um, third time. Um, and who who are you when you are at work, when you're at home, you can't go anywhere, you're not seeing anybody? Because, um, you know, often, you know, I see that 
and it can be a bit of a trap that we, we sort of become, um, the church becomes our Christianness. If we go to church, we are oh, really Christian. And if we don't, well, we're not. But it's like church is only a very small part of who we are in, in God and how uh, he sees us. And so my question today is, how are we representing God right now? You know, we're not doing it in church. We're not volunteering. We're not serving anywhere there. It's just a, a simple um, place where we, um, we have to be who we are, where we are. And, uh, you know, with your neighbours or, or if you can work, your workmates or with your family. or um, who, who, who are you? Are you genuine? Are you real? Do people feel that they can approach you? Another story that I, I quite like too that I sort of plays into this one here is the story of Moses. And uh, we, we know the, the, the story again of Moses, how he, he was born um, an Israelite, but he was raised a, an Egyptian prince. And uh, I just I like this, these scriptures here um, in Exodus 2, 11 to 14. How are we doing? It's like, I don't, want, I don't want to do two takes tonight, so I've got to get it in this first one. Okay. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to, to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And I, I just thought, well, here's the, the true uh, Moses coming out. He, he's, a, he's a guy that knows that he was born in Israel. He knows that he was raised an Egyptian with the privileges of, of that. And and when he, but there was something about him that he had, have, uh, God hadn't actually said, hey, you're going to lead my people out at this point. But he knew there was something in him that was like leadership or there was a, um, something about his people that he wanted to be uh, involved with and he wanted to help and wanted to lead with. But at this time here, all he did is goes out and kills this guy. And then, and then it seemed to be okay, he seemed to get away with it. But it says in verse 13, it says, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked one of them in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Then the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must be known now. And uh, the story goes that Moses said, right, I've got to get out of here because you know, if, if the, if the um, Egyptians find out that he's killed an Egyptian... Um, he's going to get into trouble. So we we hear we see the story. The next chapter, you know, he flees. He goes to the land of um, Midian, and he lives there for forty years. So he, he is he's an outcast. He's he's no longer got the privileges. But but what he did is um, was become a shepherd. And uh, years go by, and then we get to cha uh, yeah chapter three is about where he has the encounter at the burning bush, where God spoke to him. And, and he ends up saying to, God, you know, to Moses that you know, you're going to lead my people out. But I, I like these verses here. Uh, Exodus 4, this is uh, verses 1 to 2, it says, And Moses answered, you know, he was saying, you know, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, you know, the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he's, he's a shepherd. He said, A staff, he replied. And I, I thought, here's a guy that has been called by God now. God said, you're going to lead my people, but you're going to do it with a staff. You're going to do it with what's in your hand. This is who you are. 
And I think if we go back in the story, initially he was like, I, I watch all the movies, you know, and always the, 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 the king, the princes, they always train. You know, they would do, do all the sword fights and things. You know, think of Kingdom of Heaven. Think of, you know, some of these movies where, you know, they, they, they're getting trained. Troy, they're all fighting away there and they are known to be, you know, great warriors. So I think Moses knew how to fight. I think he trained. I think he knew how to fight. And so when he felt an empathy for his people, he did what he thought. He says, okay, we're going to fight the Egyptians one day. But 40 years later, God says, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he gives him a staff. And I thought, man, you know, this was a staff that he was probably really familiar with. He's probably had it for the 40 years. Um, but it was just a stick. But it became a significant part of the way God used his Moses. And uh, that staff was used for, you know, um, sort of announcing the plagues, for uh, parting the Red Sea, for getting water out of a rock, for uh, turning bitter water into sweet. Um, he used that staff as, uh, as, as a leadership tool. It was like the power of God was, um, became who Moses was through that staff. Often we think, you know, we ha- you know we, there should be a way that we look or act or, or are as a Christian. Um, and, and how you know we do our Christian lives, and you know sometimes we we, we have a have a, a bit of a plan of how that's going to be. And I just want to share <laughs> for me what what happened. I I've had a crazy ride, and I, I want to share it a bit with you because you know I I had I had some expectations. I had I had a dream uh, for six years ago. And the dream was a very vivid, I've had some good dreams. And this one here relates to being a pastor. And I, I actually dreamed that I was, a, I was pastoring. And uh, it was very, very clear. I, I still don't know how you dream that. Maybe I saw myself preaching or praying for stuff. I don't know. I don't know how that looked. Um, yeah, who knows? But you know, I, I, I just knew that I was pastoring. And so in the morning, the, the dream was still there. And that's when I know it's a God dream because I can still remember it. Because mostly I don't remember my dreams. So in the last 18 months, um, I've become a pastor. And, um, and but but life doesn't happen the the way you think it's going to. I had my preconceived ideas of how that would look for me. So on the fifteenth of the second, twenty twenty, which was last February, I was ordained as a pastor in the Acts Churches in New Zealand for Rollis and and became the associate pastor at um, Rollis, at Cornerstone here. On the twenty fifth of the third, twenty twenty, which is thirty nine days later, we go into lockdown. Whew. As a pastor, in my 18 months, I have experienced three church lockdowns and having to do this because of that. I had no idea that I would be doing video preaching um, in my near future. It was one of those things that I'd rather not do and uh, still would rather not do. But you find yourself doing things that because of circumstances, I haven't. this is just the way it is. And uh, my role, I have to do this now. There's nothing I can do about it. I honestly thought I knew how things would go. You know, I was, we, we had discussions. I was going to be paid two days a week uh, to work uh, by the church. So, so that, for that to work, that was good. I expected that you know, there'd be some sort of you know, role that I'd, I'd do. And, and then I would have someone running the farm. And so really I only need someone to do, say, half days each day would be, be really useful <clears throat> while I went about church work. <laughs> I even had a contract drawn up. I had the perfect person all ready to go. <clears throat> and then... Um, because this, this person needed to buy some land, they had to get a full-time job, and the contract we, it fell through just before he started. And then I had two more people come. Another one started his own business, and he was um, helping. He was brilliant. 
and then his business got, got going and he had to go and do his business. So he had to leave. Then I had another guy came down from um, Hamilton. It was awesome. He was doing a great job, but couldn't find another job to match the half day that I was giving him. So um, he moved on to um, bigger and better things too. And it's like, I'm thinking, God, you know, I am trying to make this work. Um, there, there's Somehow it's going to work. So I'm... I'm um, Still really wondering how, how this is going to happen. And, and it came to me, uh, to, to, to my thinking that maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Maybe this is not really the role. I'm thinking of the role a little bit differently than I should do. Now, it's not necessarily verified by Andre or anybody, but this is my thinking. Um, <clears throat> that I don't need to be like Andre. And it would be wrong for me to be like Andre. Um, I stopped getting paid by the church. Um, it only, started, only lasted a couple, three months anyway, while I had those guys working for me. And, but I, I just didn't feel quite right about it. Um, COVID didn't help because it uh, messed up the church finances. Um, and so it was a bit harder. But if I haven't got someone working for me, then I don't need to get paid. And, so, and I'm okay with that. So my question is, who am I? You know, I, I'm not the pastor that I thought I could be or dreamed that I would be. But I had to think, who am I? And who is the real me? That Not the person that I think I should be, but who is the real me? And so that question is, is answered in, in this way. It says, I love and live for the outdoors. Um, and a lot of you have been out there with me. You've been on you know, overnighters or, or tramps or camps, or you've done nice flat walks at church uh, camps. Remember that, everybody? That was amazing. Um, it's my happy place. I love it. I love sharing it with others. I love doing the outdoors. I love doing the, the adventure things with other people. I'm, I'm not a person that just, you know, I do go by myself, but it's never as enjoyable. It's like, oh, look at that scenery. Look at that waterfall. And there's no one to share it with. It just, you know, I, I love sharing the experience. And uh, most people just love being part of that experience. And so that's where I come alive. Um, shutting me in office and office um, answer emails, which I don't get that many emails anyway, um, for church things, uh, and making phone calls and, and, and you know, <clears throat> whatever else a pastor does um, or supposed to do. Um, I see Andre doing this stuff, but I don't have to do that stuff. Um, I, I, it's just not the way that I roll. And I've, yeah, I've come to actually know that. You know, I, I'm, I have to know that I am a, um, a support role. I, I support Andre and Hannah. Um, that is, is my function. I am a volunteer, just like everybody else that's, you know, you're serving and you're, and you're giving of your time and you're helping in very part, various parts of the church. Um, I'm just like you. I'm just a volunteer that gives my time willingly. And so I just realized that I'm part of a team, which is exciting. That's who I am. I am a team player. I like being part of a team. Andre and I complement each other. If you think of the um, personality tree uh, book where you've got the lion as, as the leader, the otter is the fun-loving one, the beaver is the doing it uh, the right way, and the retriever is the loyal one. Um, Andre and I, um, Dre is lion-otter. I'm otter-lion. And so I can lead when I need to lead. And Andre can play when he's not leading. <laughs> and so we actually complement each other really well. And that's one of the, the biggest things I think um, that I enjoy about this last four years being in this church is that, that we have a great team. And then that, that goes right through the eldership. It goes through the staff team. It goes through all our ministry leaders. We have such great teams in this church. And that's where you know, I, I function in those teams and love it. So it's awesome. And that's who I am. I love being in a team. I don't want to be 
that one with all the responsibility. Thanks, Dre. So I had some preconceived idea made up of what I should have done or should, should look like. And I'm thinking it's wrong. So, and this is our heart for, for, for you guys and our, our leaders and our people in our church is that you be you. Um, we love you being you. And the thing about that is that we want you to function the way that you do and, and be, be that person that you are, but take people on the journey with you. Uh, we had one guy in a church once who, who went hunting on a, on a regular basis. And then, then years later, we started, so a couple of, a few others started hunting. And he says, oh, man, they, they we're never into it when I was into it. And I was like, mate, you never invited us. You never took us on the journey. You never invited us in. He says, you're more than welcome to come with us, but you never invited us in. And uh, part of our, our, um, our uniqueness is that we not only do our journey, we pull other people on the journey with us. So hopefully this is all good with Dre because um, I think he understands where I'm coming from. I've asked him a few times, are you happy with what I'm doing? And I'll find out at my end of year performance review if I've done okay, if I'm still going to be here next year. Or maybe I won't be here after lockdown. Who knows? So I was ready to yield my leadership, uh, yield, well, no, wield, wield my, my leadership sword. But God gives me a shepherd's staff. And... Uh, which is funny because I am a farmer and I've got a 120 hectare farm. It's a full-time commitment, not full-time work, but it's a full-time commitment. I need to be there at irrigation, feeding, and stock animal management. Um, but it, it is funny. It's like I thought I would be something quite different, um, but I've just realised that I need to be me. So now my goal is to make my farming as simple as I can so I can free up time for what God wants for me, um, free up time for the king's business. So, so what I want to do now is go through, um, is we, we learned this at CLDP, Jared um, Van Berkel brought it um, this year, and I, I quite liked what it was. It sort of gave us a, a reason to be who we are and serve God out of who we are, because we're all different, we all function differently. So so I quite, I quite enjoyed these here. So I'm, we're going to go through them, and there's nine different ways that we can connect. So first off, I'll just talk about the environment. It says... <clears throat> Just like an artist getting ready for inspiration, our, sur um, our surroundings for connecting with God are important. Remember, he's creative and so are we. An artist is inspired by the vistas of nature. It isn't likely to feel inspired by sitting in an office. Amen. They need to get out into the, into the right setting and sometimes so do we. We each have different spiritual temperaments or environments where it's easier for us to feel or sense God's presence. And that's really important. That... Just because I experience God in the outdoors, Elliot might experience him in a cafe. Is that right, Elliot? Mm. Yep, mm, he's nodding. It's good. We normally fit into more than one category. And so as we go through the following temperaments, have a think about which one best fits you. So we've got nine things to go through. So, so go with us. It's going to be up here on the screen, and I'll put them all up at the end. And so, But I can see, for me, there's probably three that I sort of fit into. And so the first one is activist, loving God through confrontation with evil. And we've all met these people, bold and desire to see evil confronted and good prevail. And activists will often get involved in, at great personal costs. Wanting to be, uh, to be liked is not a high priority as standing up for the orphans and widows. Activists are wired by God to courageously come against evil and rally for good. Oh, is this you? 
energized and rejuvenated by taking action against injustice. And at the same time, I have a, have, I have a greater sense of solidarity and fellowship with God. Activists like the mission. They like doing things with God, not just being with God. That's a real action person. So, you know, somebody be, you know, I know, some activists. The next one is uh, ascetic. It's loving God through solitude and simplicity. The life of an ascetic is, is fundamentally an internal one. Um, they believe that, this, that silence is a gift. It's not a gift. Well, it is for some people. Not so much a detachment from people, but an inner disposition. They like a low level of sensory input and enjoy simple living, uh, simple living conditions, environments, and lifestyle. The act of walking into a quiet, barren monastery can cause them to move quickly into the consciousness of God, God and near His presence. They endure hardship and suffering for themselves. Uh, for, for themselves, denial is a means of loving God more. And there's no distinction between sacred and secular. All work done is unto the Lord is an act of worship. They still they value stillness and obedience. I know I know a lady that um, she wanted a a hut uh, out the back of her house where she could basically be could be her prayer room. And she said to her, she says, I'd, "I'd love to have it be in a monastery." She's married with two kids. It's like Husband, how does this work? But it's like, that was, she just loved that. She just loved getting in her own room. She just loved being by herself. She just loved praying and, and seeking God. She just loved it. And it's like, I find that hard. I had to do some prayer sessions with her, and it was sometimes hard. Okay, the next one's contemplative. Is it Not caregiver. Go back. Caregiver, loving God through serving others. <clears throat> Caregivers see practical needs. And move towards them. They are servants. Their spiritual pace is quickened when they are helping in concrete ways. They feel closest to God when they're laboring for Him. They feel marked increase. In, they feel a marked increase in the awareness of Him. They feel the most joy-filled in life when they are serving or volunteering. It is kindness rather than justice that motivates them. And I know there's, there's a lot of caregivers um, in our church. Yeah, just love helping people, and it's such an awesome ministry because it's not about you, it's about uh, serving the practical needs in the church. And so we salute you. The next one is the contemplative, and that's um, loving God through adoration. Uh, contemplatives enjoy basking in the warmth of God's love and spending extended time simply delighting in his presence. Their first work is the work of adoring God. They see all of life as an opportunity to develop uh, a, a deeper Friendship with Jesus. They talk openly about intimacy with God. They are more at home with their mystical side, and they may seem be be seen as a little out of step with others. So is that you? And some of you will be that. Okay, the next one's an enthusiast, loving God through mystery and celebration. They are easy to spot in a crowd. As the enthusiast loves to get God with great gusto, a cheerleader of the faith, feels closer to God when gathered in a group to sing and worship. I'd rather do that than do this. They are deeply inspired by joyful celebration. Worship is party time. Come on. They love expressing emotion when praising God. Cry, kneel, dance like prostate. Enthusiasts feel at home with various types of spiritual expression and often have a childlike, playful spirit towards the things of God. I... I identify with this one to a degree. Um, 
And it's, it's like, I, I love it when, when um, there's a real enthusiasm in the room. And I think it's one of the things that, um, and, you know, I think Jay, Dre's talking on growing next week. But as a church, you know, we want presence, but we want growing. We want to grow into more of what God has for us. And that's abandoning ourselves and just allowing ourselves to just fall in love with God again. And sometimes that looks very energetic, enthusiastic. And uh, that's good. Okay, the next one is the intellectual Loving God through the mind. Intellectuals <clears throat> are those who love God best through using their minds to ponder on Jesus and his truths. By understanding scripture and being involved in all forms of cognitive activity, they, they see faith as something to be understood as much as experienced. For them, the right thinking is essential, and they love learning new things about God and his kingdom. They may have, have, may have, have morning devotions with a commentary or two. They may be reading challenging books, taking classes, attending lectures, or being pulled into the conversations that challenge their thinking. And uh, again, it's one where, you know, active minds and, you know, sometimes those, those people that have got a lot of questions and a lot of, they just want to know more. It's like, um, I send them to Warren. I say, go and see Warren. Yeah, because Warren knows that stuff. The naturalist. We've got a naturalist thing in Ralston here, and we sort of when, I, when naturalist it feels wrong because it's like a, a, the um, the club down the road. But this is not that. The naturalist is loving God through experiencing Him outdoors. Naturalists feel closest to God when they're in the outdoors. Something inside their souls comes alive when they're surrounded by God's splendor and nature, whether mountains or beach or desert. Just being outside can dramatically increase the awareness of God. They prefer meeting in a park over a cafe. For the naturalist, seeing detail in what God has made is like receiving little love notes from him. It's not a mistake that I'm wearing this T-shirt tonight. It's just going with the authentic thing. And I relate to that one. I do relate to that one there. And it's one that, um, you know, as I said before, being in an office all day doing stuff uh, or book work is really hard for me. But being outside, and today, you know, I was working on this today, and I just had to get outside, get in the tractor, just do some stock work, shift something. I just had to get outside and do something. And uh, that's just who I am. I can't help that. Okay, this next one is the, the sensate. It's loving God through the senses. Sensate's use of, of, of all their senses, taste, touch, sight, smell, sound. To focus more fully on Jesus, they are easily lost in awe and splendor of God. They are particularly drawn to God when they are in the presence of beauty, such as intricate architecture, classical music, formal language, incense, icons, and stained glass windows. Sensates are, see spiritual meaning and come alive on the screen through movies. That come alive on the screen through movies. For the sensate, visual imagery has become a mediator of the invisible kingdom of God, and it says. Many people connect best with God through movement or the kinesthetic sense, doing edgy art with clay or paint. For some, it's sensing God while driving, sewing or building, walking or jogging, swimming. Movement seems to free the mind and the heart to engage with God. Is that you? Maybe it is. And then you've got the traditionalist. Loving God through ritual and symbol. Traditionalists enjoy worship, prayer and communion, Bible reading and other practices. When they are done in, a fami in familiar ways, these rituals help them connect with the ways of the saints of old. Rituals and sacraments provide a way for us to enter into God's glory. Anglican churches throughout the world help connect people to God through rituals and liturgy. Traditions. Uh, traditions and rituals 
help preserve the essential doctrines of the faith, e.g. creeds handed down through the centuries. And, uh, and I know that there's traditionalists. I, I think there's a few in our church, you know, because we've got such a, a wide range of ages and that. And, and I know some of you, you just love to do things in the way that it's always been done. And, uh, you know, we make room for that. You can be you in our church. All right, here's the list of them all. And uh, I guess I, I guess that the thinking is um, that today is just to to help you discover who you are and how you connect with God. And uh, you'll be probably more than one. Um, I think I'm three. I think I, I fall into the uh, caregiver, enthusiast, naturalist would probably be my mix. Um, and so it's just good to have a look through that. If you want to grab a, yeah, your phone now and, and take a picture of that, and then that'll give you a bit of an opportunity to look back at it and think, okay, which one am I? You know, which ones am I? And it's quite surprising sometimes. You know, we did this at um, our CLDP weekend at Living Springs. And, you know, it's interesting to see who put their hand up for the various um, categories there. Um, and what it does, it gives you a greater uh, understanding of who our people are and how they connect with God. And, uh, you know, we go to a Sunday morning and this is how we do church. But it doesn't suit everybody doing church like that. Um, now that we can't use a building, we could do church on a mountain and Jesus used mountains. I like that idea. But not all of you will like that idea. So have you got a picture of that? And have a, have a little think about it, of which ones you are. It's like your homework for this week, is to think about that. Okay, we just want to finish um, today on Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And this is in the Passion Translation. Now we're talking about the seal of God. And so, and this is, um, I'll read it first. It says, and because of him, because of Jesus, when you were not the, uh, when you who are not Jews heard of the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And I, I just read that. And I thought, man, we've been stamped with a seal. See, you know, when you're stamped with a seal, in biblical times, the king would have a seal, um, and often I think it was on his. On his finger or something as well and they, they wouldn't have emails so they would do their letters and they would fold their letters up put a bit of wax on it and then they'll get the seal and they would stamp that letter shut and then th that letter would go away and it had the seal of the king on it it was like it was authentic it was genuine letter or, or, or message that the king was sending out to another king or to, to people that he needed to send messages out to and as soon as you saw that seal you knew that it was a genuine uh, letter or, or note from the king and and we're like that that we are, God has stamped us for himself. That we are the genuine, we are the genuine um, uh, belonging to God. We belong to God. And then to, to and I just, if you look at that, that there, it says, we're stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So what makes us authentic is this. And our spiritual journey, what makes us authentic, what makes us real, what makes us genuine, is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then out of that is who we, how we minister. That's how we give. That's how we serve. Because people, yeah, and, and people will see that it's because like um, it's for your love for people or love for the church is so great. Or even that scripture where it says your love for your, um, I can tell that you, um, you, you love God because of your love for one another. We can all be authentic in, our, in the way that we um, relate to God because God has marked us with a seal of his love. And now... We've, we've got the Holy Spirit, which is the evidence and the proof 
of the genuine article. And uh, it's exciting. And Paul was, it was one that we, we see right at the start when I talked, that the authenticity of him and his change was what? It was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that was now in him. And it didn't take long for, for the disciples to go, oh no, he's the real deal. Because, not because of words, Barnabas didn't have to keep on telling him, hey, look, he's right, he's okay, trust him. It was like it was a very clear difference now. He had the Holy Spirit in him. And when he ministered, the Holy Spirit would minister. And it was clear. It was an authentic, genuine, and real change. And the ministry that flowed from that came from that. So this is what God has for every one of us. And uh, today, you know, I guess you know, I'm saying two things. One thing is be yourself. So, you know, who, how do you connect with God? Who are you? You know, how do you roll? Be yourself, be authentic, be real. But the other thing is to spiritually be real is to actually have the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, that would be my challenge, you know, this week even, is to think, you know, God, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I understand the Holy Spirit in my life and, and the Holy Spirit's activity in my life? And how does that look in the way that I do ministry and how I serve and how I love Jesus? And it's not a religious exercise. It's actually a heart relationship that we have. And the Holy Spirit connects us with the things of God. And that is the genuine evidence. And uh, hey, that's where I want to leave you today. A little bit of homework. How do you see God? And how does the Holy Spirit influence and impact your life? Um, so let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you that today, Lord, you know, it's such a, such a privilege to be yours. It's such a privilege to, to know that um, you saved me and that you've brought me into your kingdom as a son, as a daughter. And uh, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray for everyone um, as part of the service today that we would really know who you are in our lives in these days, because these days are different to what we've seen before. And Lord, we just uh, thank you that, that uh, you know, we're going to get back together again soon. And Father, we can encourage each other. And Lord, we can just grow your kingdom in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Amen.